Welcome to Lambda Weekly. I'm Dave Taffet here in the studio with Lauren Landis. Patty Fink is running a little bit late, mm-hmm. but she'll be here, we think. Uh, our guests are Brooke Nickerson Henderson. She's the incoming executive director of Legacy Cares. And Shannon Mitchell Purcell is a board member. Board chair. Board chair. Uh, oh, I heard a door. It could be. It could be Patty. I think it is Patty. It's Patty. Um, Oh, we hadn't adjusted the microphones. And we're going to share microphones. First time we've done that in a while. Yeah. It's nice having guests back in the studio. So um, before we get started with Brooke and Shannon, um, Patty, you were out last week working on uh, voter election stuff. Yes. Did you find any of those missing votes for Trump? No, did not. Oh, okay. In fact, the I ran the Democratic um, primary at my location. Where all those center. votes were stolen. No, um, but the Republicans didn't show up. Oh. <laughs> so we, we voted Republicans, too. So. Do you know, I voted at the um, Oaklawn Library, and you didn't know which one it was. They gave you a choice on the machine and you just clicked which one you wanted but mm-hmm. the same people were checking in both sides right and that's the way it was supposed to be but we were supposed to have three more people from the republicans mm-hmm. helping mm-hmm. <laughs> and they didn't show up yes the monitors right <laughs> right well they're actually supposed to work <laughs> the election workers so yeah so it, it was interesting uh, i'm sure it was uh we have a couple of people who are running for office or who have run before the campaign gets underway planning to be on the show. So our guests are Brooke Nickerson Henderson and Shannon Mitchell Purcell. I said that already. Uh, Brooke is the incoming executive director of, of Legacy Cares. Uh, Shannon is running one of the organization's big fundraisers of the year, Legacy Under the Sea. And we'll talk about that during the show, too. Um, Brooke, I know you from back when you were um, the director of Legacy Cottage. You left and you came back. Yes. Tell us a little bit, first of all, about Legacy Cottage and how it's changed over the years, because I remember it when it was a place where there was big turnover because people went there. It was a hospice. People went there to uh, just before they were going to die from HIV. Yeah, so I started with Legacy Founders Cottage back in 2011. Um, And when I first started, even at that time, we were doing a lot of hospice care. And we would always try to manage no more than two hospice patients at a time, just so we could focus on the quality of care that we were providing to the clients. And it's a seven-bedroom facility. We have certified nurse assistants um, that provide 24-hour care. And as the program director, Um, Even when I was leaving in 2020, uh, we were doing more respite care. Um, The rooms originally were designed, three rooms were designed for hospice back in 1996. And um, even in 2003, they built onto the cottage because they saw people were not passing away. They were progressing, medications coming out. So they built onto the cottage at that point in time. Uh, providing room for respite care. Respite care basically meant people would come with a, come to us um, and stay for approximately six to nine months.
months and we would get them healthy. Um, during my time at the cottage, I even had a couple clients that would come in, they would start on hospice care and all they really needed was an opportunity and time to get on medications, have some tender loving care, somebody be there to kind of hold their hand be removed from the stigma, be around other individuals that were living with HIV and AIDS. And so one particular story that sticks out to me was a gentleman who came to us and he was in his late 50s and he had cancer um, and he was given less than six months to live. And as time kept coming and he got closer to the six months and he wasn't dead and he hadn't passed, he'd get angry and he was like, you know what, let's change the narrative. They're not God. Doctors aren't God, right? So let's change the narrative. And we really start focusing on quality of life and what that looked like. And one of the things in his background was he liked to work out. His, he was physically physique, even as he was on hospice. Um, and he ended up saying, you know what, I'm going to start walking up and down the hall more. And so he started walking up and down the hall. It started with little things. But he was like, I'm not going to let this hold me back. I am hospice, but I'm going to do this walking up and down the hall turned into him walking up and down the driveway at the cottage him walking up and down the, ha the hall to the driveway up and down the street on Tyler Street next thing you know he's got a weight belt guys and they built a planet fitness down the street from the cottage at that time and I was like okay he's really ambitious I love this gentleman but I mean you don't want to stop anybody but he changed his narrative and he went from being hospice to being respite we had to get him back into care and one of the things it was really big was going back to the doctor to find out where the cancer was because he had gone without treatment they said he wasn't a candidate and so he goes to the doctor once we finally decide he's gonna let hospice go and be a respite client and he gets reengaged in his care and they couldn't find the cancer and so at that point it was either in remission it was no longer there he was like I'm getting to live my life so he's at the fitness center. Like he had me thinking, I need to start working out on a daily basis. I was like, what are we doing? Like, what's our what's our goal today? So it was kind of a change in uh, case management at that point. Like he was keeping me motivated, and we were just seeing him progress. He actually still living with us now. He is at oh, Aid Services awesome. in Dallas. And that's where we transitioned his care. But again, he came to us for hospice, and that's what he thought was his ending stage was going to end with us. And we were able to shift that change. And um, I'm just really happy to have seen that. That was a lot of the stories that I had when I was doing um, case management and being the program director at the cottage. So uh, that's kind of what we're seeing now, more respite clients and less hospice. That's fantastic. She just answered my question. So. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> about that. Um, are you still uh, referred people, I guess patients, mm -hmm. who have HIV and the hospital still doesn't know what to do with them, get them on their medication and get them healthy, mm -hmm. um, and they're calling you for hospice care when all they really need is to get back on a, a, a medical regimen? Yeah, we, we do still get that we, from other hospitals um, that aren't as knowledgeable about HIV and AIDS. I will say that. And so we always give them the opportunity to come in as a hospice client. And my funny saying to clients is this is not a bed and breakfast, especially when they're respite, because um, you have goals. We're going to work on stuff. 
if you are hospice, then we'll, we'll be a little bit more accommodating to what those goals are going to be. But a lot of times it is basically getting into an environment where they are around individuals like themselves, mm -hmm. where the stigma is no longer existent. You can take your medications openly. We can have conversations. One of the things that we're trying to get back into doing now that the pandemic is easing a little bit and the guidelines are lifting is bringing in educational programs for our clients and really taking the time because as case managers we can speak so much but sometimes having it from other entities a lot of pharmaceutical companies have community liaisons that can come in and talk about the different medications and one of the biggest things right now is there is a injectable medication that's out and so finding things that are a little bit more uh, convenient for our clients. Cabanuva is the newest medications, mm -hmm. and so we're working with the community liaisons to bring in these educational. And, and Cabanuva is the medication where you get an injection once a month, yes. and you don't have to take a daily pill. Yeah. If I had to be on medication, every time I've taken, like, for a dental thing, mm -hmm. and I'm given four pills I have to take, one each day for four days, there's always one left over. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> or either we stop taking them, I don't know how that happens, them, right? Well, oh yeah, there was my blood pressure medication, which <laughs> you know. Yeah, you just take it once in a while. I, I take it once in a while, and that wow. just has to do because <coughs> a friend of mine had just switched to getting the uh, shot monthly, and he said it was life changing. Yeah, he loves it. And you don't feel like you are conformed, or you're having to fit in this box of a daily pill having to worry about your privacy, confidentiality, wherever you are, carrying it with you all the time. So a well, lot of our clients don't know this information. The, the fact that it went from, you know, when this first started that, you know, people were taking up to 30 pills a day. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, you know, literally they were taking an alphabet of pills. Mm -hmm. And for it to go to, you know, just two to three pills to one to now a monthly shot, that just really shows the progression and how much has happened and how, how much advancements have we've seen. So, mm -hmm. you know, so. Yeah. So we're really happy to bring those type of opportunities to the clients at the cottage to educate them about opportunities that are available so that when they go into their provider appointments, they can have these knowledgeable and educational conversations with their providers and say, is this an option for me? You know, so I think that's really what we're working with with our respite clients is providing insight and education. You touched on this a minute ago, but, you know, back in the 80s and 90s, you know, HIV and AIDS was just kind of seen like as a death sentence. Right. You know, now with the remarkable drugs that have been discovered and been taken for the past 15, 20 years, people are living longer. Uh, and now it's kind of considered a just a long-term condition. Um, and some people still think this is an actual cure. How often is it do you actually see someone pass away from HIV and AIDS infection now? Um, last year, I can speak in regards to that um we only had two people pass away in our that's, in our remar fiscal that's year. remarkable we served 17 patients um at the cottage last year and of those 17 individuals only two of them um passed away and i will tell you a lot of times what happens is the death their death is not related to hiv it's usually some other comorbidity okay um so for instance it was um an individual who may have had um heart failure um, so it's other things, although HIV is one of their diagnoses, it probably is not one of the things that causes and leads to death. And every once in a while we still get individuals who have fought the good fight. They're tired. 
they no longer want to fight this fight. And we have to meet them where they are. And that's the part at the cottage that I love the most is because we were able to provide that dignity, that support, and meet them where they are and not force them to live a life that they weren't comfortable living anymore. And so we met them at that place and we helped them transition. And my youngest one, when I was at the cottage in my eight years, was 21. And that was my hardest one because it didn't have to happen. But it was a hard lesson for me. And um, I learned it was her story. It was her journey, Mm -hmm. not mine. Um, And we helped her through that process. So, Yeah, I had a friend who um, needed to be on medication. And when he died, we went through his things and he had a case like, two feet long that was filled with medications that he had been given but refused to take. So. Well, you know, Aaron and I watched, recently watched um, The Eyes of Tammy Faye, the movie, Mm -hmm. and I thought it was very interesting in reading trivia about it that um, the the gentleman she interviewed so famously who had HIV AIDS on, I don't know if you're familiar with the story, but at her PTL club mm-hmm. um, praise the Lord club with Jim Baker um, she she interviewed a young man who was HIV positive and they made the movie it's gonna probably be nominated for an Oscar if it's not already um, and they never contacted him about getting his permission to tell his story or anything because they thought he was dead mm-hmm. and he is oh. very much alive wow. <laughs> Mm-hmm. And he awesome. heard that it was, the movie was was made, and uh-huh. he contacted the the makers of the film and said, "I'm I'm alive," and they were shocked. Mm-hmm. You know, they were they didn't even pursue it because they just assumed this man had died yeah. at some point. Oh my God! No, I, I, I didn't amazing? know about that. Yeah, mm-hmm. wow. yeah, and she was with PTL Club bef- in the '80s. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Isn't that when Jerry Falwell stole the whole thing from her? Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, so you went from eight years at the cottage, you went to Baylor. Yes. Uh, Okay, now, oh, by the way, speaking of Baylor, one of your, um, uh, co-alums is in a Russian jail. Have you heard that? I know. Yeah. Brittany Griner. Yeah. She was arrested coming into the country. She was going to play leaving. with their... She was arrested leaving. Oh, leaving the country? Yeah. It turns out that a huge number of the WNBA players go to Russia in the, off-se- the U.S. offseason and play for Russian teams, and it's much more lucrative than playing for teams in the United States, which is sad. Yeah. Um, but she was actually leaving. Uh, and they the found some cannabis and... They, so they've accused her of this. We don't know that it's even true yeah. because it's yeah. pretty common there to <clears throat> trump up charges if they feel like maybe she might be leverage yeah. in some way mm-hmm. so i think they're i i think it's it's um not what it seems in this case i don't know if it's trumping up charges or putining up charges well that's true <laughs> i mean patty's right right now it's just an uh it's, it's alleged but if she's found guilty she's looking at 10 to 15 years <gasps> mm. That, 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 that's pretty wow. steep over there, yeah. See, I told you we don't stay on topic. <laughs> we were talking just before the show. We just meander. Yeah. Um, that's the best. But, but talk about that's Baylor. So you left and you went to Baylor, Scott and White. Doing, mm-hmm. doing what? I originally went to their multiple sclerosis clinic as a social worker. Um, and they told me when I took the job, it's a lot of short-term disability, long-term disability, um, uh, handicap placards, filling out paperwork, and... 
possibly doing counseling with some of the clients who were on infusion treatments. So I was like, okay, that sounds like a great opportunity, kind of change um, what I knew. I've only done HIV and AIDS. I started out there with health services in North Texas and didn't or in their Plano office. So I was like, let me learn something different. So one thing that a lot of people don't know is that I didn't fully leave Legacy. I still stayed on part-time. I did a lot of their HR stuff. So I you know, I, Melissa says it's like the mafia. Once you get in, you just can't get out. So although I left Legacy on a full-time basis, I still was in the circle of things, knew what was going on, and stayed in the loop. Um, but I went to Baylor on this new idea. I'd gotten my license as a social worker and working in an MS clinic. Um, I started December of 2019, and uh, what, two, three months later, COVID happened? right? Mm -hmm. So I ended up doing that. They couldn't really justify my job a lot of times because with um, MS, you have immunocompromised clients who can't come into the office. So we went to telehealth and my job was really limited, um, which therefore led me to working the COVID line for Baylor employees. Mm -hmm. So I wasn't doing social work. I was learning how to conduct drive-through COVID testing. But there's always a silver lining, right? So the silver lining and the lesson that I say God was teaching me at that time was how do I come back and do that at Legacy? And there's been a couple opportunities with us still being in a pandemic in the last two years that I've been there, um, at the cottage particularly, that I've had to conduct drive-through testing. And I was like, thank you, God, for that lesson. We never know the little things that he's trying to teach us. Um, so that was my lesson. I was like, I know how to do this. I know how to set it up. I know how to get the staff in order. It was so easy because I'm like, this is a lesson you learned. So that's my silver lining. <laughs> and, and then Melissa because she's old, she's retiring. Melissa's very, very old. <laughs> Melissa, that was David, not me. That was all David. She, <laughs> Melissa's used to it. Melissa's from David. on the show lots of times. It'll get worse, too. It's like, he'll slide all, all the whole hour. Yeah. <laughs> uh, asked you to become the new executive director. We'll talk a little bit about uh, more about that right after our break. This is Lambda Weekly on 89.3 KNON-FM. I'm Dave Taffet here in the studio with Laron Landis and the late Patty Fink. And we'll be back with more right after this. This is Candy Markham, and I listen to Lambda Weekly on 89.3 KNON-FM. Listen. And I'm Dave Taffet here with Patty Fink and Lauren Landis. Our guests are Shannon Mitchell Purcell, who's the board chair of Legacy Cares, and Brooke Nickerson Henderson, who is the... Uh, incoming executive director of Legacy Cares. Um, we were just talking about Melissa being very, very old and having to retire, something like that. <laughs> She's getting to go enjoy her life. Yeah. She's yeah. dedicated so many years to Legacy. She's so deserving of it. She's so deserving of it. Yeah. So what else can you tell us about Legacy Cares? Is, is it not a place for someone who's newly diagnosed and needs to care managed? Yes. So we still newly diagnosed. Melissa is the crisis on call line because oftentimes we get individuals who are just receiving the results for our counseling and they need that guidance direction at that time um, when they're in their most crisis situation so Melissa handles that um, I guess that'll be my next responsibility of being on call uh, when she decides to set off in the sunset and travel but we also do that um, we actually 
intensive outpatient substance abuse treatment. We're getting, we have that, it's three days a week, and we're actually getting ready to start an evening support group. Uh, that's pretty exciting for us because we're seeing a lot of people are getting jobs, so they're not able to make it to our morning sessions um, that's held between 9 and 11, um, Monday, Monday, Wednesday, Thursdays. And so our evening group will start March 10th on Thursday evenings from 7 to 9 p.m. If somebody wants to participate, they can go to LegacyCares.org? Yes, and they can call our main office at 214-520-6308. So typically when someone tests positive for HIV, it's not, I mean, I guess there might be some situations, but typically it's not just a matter, okay, you tested positive, here's a prescription for some pills, see you later. Can you talk a little bit about why it's important to be in counseling after you're a newly diagnosed person? Um, and Laurent, I was going to say, um, you know, you ask if this is newly diagnosed people that, you know, that we're still dealing with, and we are in that kind of coincides with our new tagline with our new branding um, our new tagline is positive starts here oh okay so you know that kind of came in in and so you know that's where people know that you know this is this is their first line you know if if they are diagnosed so sorry but go no ahead. that was perfect um, I'm well, glad you brought that up uh, I mean a diagnosis isn't a death sentence now it's but it's still no. devastating it changes yeah. their life and I mean we have to honestly look at that it's like grieving and so that's one of the situations is a lot of times people don't want to go straight into counseling but they really haven't grieved the change in their life and how this changes their relationships how this may change things for them at work because mm -hmm. they're worried about that disclosure so one of the things that I like to highlight on and Melissa will always share is that our therapists are trained on the seven elements of um, informed health care when it comes to HIV. So they're getting these knowledgeable steps where we're talking about medication adherence, we're talking about compliance, we're talking about disclosure, what that looks like, and who am I supposed to tell my story to? Because not everybody is entitled to that story and needs to know. Um, so whether they're newly diagnosed or been in, uh, diagnosed for the last two to three years, they still may be grieving the information that's been shared with them and how their life has changed and still trying to navigate how do I deal and interact with people now how do I share the story and do I have to um, so that's one of the things that we really really like to say all of our therapists are trained that's a part of their orientation process is the seven elements of healthcare and informed HIV and kind of walking them through that so that they can walk our clients through that as well one of the things that you think is, well, I should tell everybody in my office, I'm, right. I'm not ashamed of it, right. and it's manageable, like diabetes, mm -hmm. but people are still fired yeah. because of ignorance. And there's still yeah. so much stigma related to it. There's, uh, you know, I lived through the, through the 80s when, when it all really started, and, you know, I happened to be a paramedic at the time, and, you know, that was, that was a big deal. Um, you know, if they, they would, you know, if we knew someone was positive, okay, we know what precautions to take. Because, you know, in the past, everybody had been really lax about things. But even in the medical field, it was still just, it was, it was disheartening being in the medical field at that time because people treated people like they literally had a plague, and if they touched them, they were immediately going to die. I remember going to somebody's doctor's appointment with him. He asked me to come along, and it was his doctor was in Denton County, but it was like Carrollton. It was like just outside of Dallas, really. And the doctor was 
just talking around the whole thing and I said you know if you're not comfortable with it why don't you recommend him to an aid specialist mm -hmm. and he said oh well he'll never find anything like that around here and I said you know here's his uh, book that has the list of his doctors she's an aid specialist he's an aid specialist he's an aid specialist he's an aid specialist the doctor didn't believe me yeah yeah, so yeah, it was yeah, it was really sad because you would see people walk into their rooms in the full hazmat suit, mm. and I was like, these people are already going through enough. We don't need to, you know, ostracize them, but it still happens today. Like you said, there's mm -hmm. still there's still people out there that that treat people that same way. So you know, that's I think that's where Brooke and, and the team tries to come in and and you know make that comfort and and offer that that support for people. So. Yeah. Um, l let's talk a little bit about, before I completely forget to do this, Le Legacy Under the Sea is coming up next week? It is next week. It is Saturday, March the 12th. Um, it will be our first event in three years, I believe, as far as a big fundraising event. Um, it is our biggest fundraiser of the year. Um, you know, we do have grants and different things, but... Um, Legacy is, is a full nonprofit. We, we rely on full support from communities and sponsorships and things like that for, you know, Brooks salary and, you know, there's certain things that grants don't cover. So, you know, this is where we try to, we try to make sure that we're able to expand our reach and, you know, even enhance our programs that we have. So, um, it's Legacy Under the Sea, March 12th at, um, 7 for parties. Um, we still have general admission tickets available. Those are $65. Um, if you use the code Legacy Cares, you get a little surprise discount. So it's legacy under the sea dot eventbrite.com. Um, and with that, um, you're going to have entertainment. You're going to have access to an auction. Um, the auction has things for everybody, literally. I mean, there's things from, you know, gift cards at a restaurant to a Grand Cayman's trip. So we've got everything in between. So. I always find with Eventbrite, if you just go to eventbrite.com and uh, type in Dallas and Legacy, yes. you'll, you'll find it. You'll yes. get to it. Now, do you have to wear a wetsuit, like a formal wetsuit? That would be preferred, <laughs> actually, Patty. So, you know, bejewel it up, you know, look yeah. really good. Put some glitter on it. Put some glitter on it. You'll something. get in. Um, no casuals wetsuit. No, 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 you no know, casual wetsuits. Bedazzled flippers. <laughs> exactly. Um, we do, we, we actually, we have, we're going to have some mermen and some mermaids and... So um, it's going to be a lot of fun. Um, Cody and Chaseland, um, Wade Vance um, are kind of coordinating the decor and stuff. And those two, we all know they can probably be a little bit over the top. So, you know, Cody and Glitter, we did a whole lot of glittering yesterday. So, but it's going to be a lot of fun, a whole lot and of fun. And it's at so. Seven for Parties, which at, is on Turtle Creek Boulevard, but in the Design District yes. portion of it's like uh, right at um, Irving Boulevard and Turtle Creek. Right. So, and it's eight to eleven. So, um, and one fun thing is open bar all night. I so, say, hey, free drinks. <laughs> <laughs> If that doesn't get you there, we I don't know. We know our audience sometimes. If you don't have a wetsuit, you'll get a wetsuit. You will be, you might be before the night's over. Um, now, Legacy Cares does more than just the cottage, it does more than just counseling. 
you changed your name because Legacy Counseling was your old name, and that's not even your biggest program anymore. It's not. We have a lot of housing services as well. And one of the things that we noticed, and we've noticed this over time, is a lot of times clients would get referred for our housing program and feel obligated or feel like they had to go through our counseling services to get housing. So we also have Home Base for Housing, which is our resource site. We have Master Leasing, which is our apartments that we have in two apartment complexes, um, scattered units, and then we also have the cottage. And so a client sitting through a therapy session and doing the assessment for two hours just to come for housing, we kind of saw that as a barrier because they really don't want it counseling and they don't have to do that. So Legacy Cares is more in all incorporating of all the services that we provide. And we also have our Grace Project, um, which we have our Women's Conference, Grace Project Conference coming up April 29th through May 1st of this year. Um, it's the largest national HIV AIDS conference that we have. And we get women from all over the United States and we're so happy to have that. Last year was our first year going back um, to a hybrid model after the pandemic. It was so exciting to see women being able to socialize, interact with each other, empower one another. It is something that keeps me motivated and keeps me running because seeing all of them together, I'm just like, oh, we do so much work and it's so much purpose-filled. So put that on your calendar as well. We're looking for volunteers. When is um, it? It is April 29th. Uh, through May 1st and so if you go to the imredproject.org you can usually sign up on that website for the volunteer opportunities I know we're waiting for our registration to open as well so within the next week or two uh, more information about the conference should be on that website so again it's imredproject.org and you get to watch an awesome little video yeah. um, of the ladies from Grace Project at imred.org so um, it's really I kind of get a little teary every time I watch it, it honestly, gives me because, because I've gotten to know the ladies over the years. And so, you know, to hear their story and know their stories and that they have a safe place to talk about it and talk with people that are like them, mm -hmm. you know, um, and like we say, there's there's all walks of life there. You know, HIV doesn't affect just this this particular group. And that was that was one of the bad stigmas too long when it started. You know, it was in the the African-American community or it was in the gay community. And that's the only those are the only two people that it affected, which we all know that that is far from the truth. Um, so, you know, it's really nice to see the ladies. And I mean, like Brooke said, we have one lady that rode a bus for three days to get here from Maryland this year wow. because she wanted to come so yeah. bad because she had attended it virtually the year before. Um, so we our reach was much larger that year virtually. So that was actually very exciting. But, you know, and it's it's what is it? Fifty dollars. Yes. For the weekend for the ladies. So we have people can can offer scholarships to help pay for their way because sometimes, you know, $50 is a lot to some of these people. So we have a lot of ladies attend on scholarships. And so people can donate that too. So, Do you have a digital track this year? Yes. We will. I think we will, won't we? Or we're still talking about it. Um, we're going to see what registration looks like. I think that was one of the things last year. We still had so many people that wanted to be in person. And so the hybrid idea behind it was we didn't get as much participation as we did the first year when we had to do it. Um, and I think everybody's in this place where they want to be touched and be in person with people. Like, we're ready to <laughs> hug. We're ready to socialize. Like, being in a room like this with other people, seeing faces and being able to interact, I think our women really, really bank on that. They have so many breakout sessions. They have a fashion show. They have a karaoke night. So they are ready to get in person, party, have a good time. Mm -hmm. They keep me on my toes, I'm telling you. They keep me <laughs> on my toes. But I have so much fun with each and every single one of them. 
you know, when everything went virtual, mm -hmm. it took us a good six months before we were just comfortable doing a radio, uh, a phone interview. Because in person, you know, before the show, we joke around. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And if we jump right into that, we had several guests who were like, who are these crazy people? <laughs> I mean, well, we were trying different things. I remember one point we tried to do it on Zoom. We did. Have a guest on Zoom and have and that be able to broadcast, and that failed. And, you know, we went through our, our growth. Those, those trial and errors were challenging. Yeah. But I they mean, were. we learned a lot of good things out of it. Um, we learned that, you know, we can do a lot of opportunities can be... Um, virtual, which is good, especially like our counseling. Telehealth is still available for a lot of our clients mm -hmm. that have jobs, don't have the transportation to get places. So we want to make sure that we keep things um, available for our clients that we're trying to reach in all aspects. I just want to say with our Grace Project, we want to see what registration looks like and if there are people nationally that still want to attend, we will provide that hybrid for them. But really, our local women and people, even if they are national, they want to travel. They're ready to get out in person. So. And I agree with you. And I hate telehealth. <laughs> Why? Hey. I think it's... I like it. I love it. I like it. it, too. My schedule's too busy for it. Because person. I like to be in person where my doctor can take my blood pressure, tell me I really should be on those damn pills <laughs> that I'm not going to take. Those pills that are in the medicine cabinet that have been there for two years. That just make, yeah, they just make me pee. Right? <laughs> They're supposed to do I, I know they're supposed to do that. Why would I want to do that? But, you know, telehealth is really great for... For example, counseling, yes. um, if, you can, if you have a job and you can ste step away and say, I can do this on my lunch hour mm -hmm. and do a 30-minute session with your counselor without having to travel. And it's, it takes a lot of time to get into a car or public transportation yeah. and go physically somewhere and then come back. That's, I mean, that's a deterrent for a lot of people. It, it, it really is, you know? Patty. And, and I have to say, I have to give like major kudos to Melissa and Brooke because when the pandemic hit, you know, we had been looking at telehealth and, you know, that's, that's and, you know, I work in insurance, as I was telling you earlier, because that's kind of the way of, of the way a lot of medicine is kind of going, you know, especially, you know, people in rural areas and stuff. And that way we were actually able to offer counseling to people outside of the Metroplex. Mm -hmm. So, wow. you know, that was really good. But, um, you know, like I was going to say, they got telehealth up and running in, what, a weekend, literally, over the weekend when the pandemic hit. Wow. So, you know, that took a lot between, you know, Michael and Brooke and Melissa. And so, but, you know, that shows their determination in making it happen. So telehealth is also really good for something that needs to be addressed, but it's not an emergency where you need to call 911 and exactly. you need to get in to see your doctor, but he or she is booked, but they can step away for 10 or 15 minutes on a telehealth and get to speak with you, see what's going on, and write your prescription. It's right. great for that. Yes, I agree. I agree. I agree. I truly appreciate telehealth in my life because it's super busy. Um, but like I said, there were a lot of clients as soon as vaccinations came out, therapists, they were back in the office, clients are back in the office. That is going to be a requirement for our women to participate in the Grace Project is being vaccinated. Um, so we keep records of that information. It gets sent to us. So we're still making sure that we're doing everything safely, following CDC guidelines, and keeping our, our all of our staff and our clients safe. But I'll, I'll also say I completely agree with David because I'm a very touchy-feely person. 
Um, so this this past two years have been extremely difficult for me. Oh yeah, yeah. I'm yeah. extremely. Same. When I finally did see people, then you still could only like here, let's touch fingers, <laughs> stay six feet away, but we can touch deep, elbows. you know, elbows, pinkies. You know, and so. then as soon as you touched, you're like sanitizing. <laughs> Excuse me, sorry, I have to go wash wash away. So. Now that, that's me too. I'm a very huggy person, but I, I learned how to keep it in check though, even yeah. pre COVID. Uh, pre COVID. Uh, so, what about um, the, the Under the Sea event? What about are there going to be any COVID guidelines there, or it's just choice of whether you want to wear a mask or not? We encourage it. Right now, CDC guidelines state that they have lifted masks in the Dallas area. Mm-hmm. Um, so it is everybody's comfort level. Um, we are mm-hmm. not filling the venue to um, capacity. Um, so there is still room for social distancing. And that's one of the things we love about Southern Four Parties is it's very long in spacing. And so we're able to spread things out. I think that's one of the good things with Chase Lynn and Cody and their decorating and setting up decor is taking um, COVID CDC guidelines into mind and keeping mm-hmm. that on their forefront, kind of spreading um, out the uh, silent auction items and spreading out the, the gathering drink. Areas. Yeah, I was like the gathering, the drinking areas and making sure, because, you know, we all want to gather at the bar. Um, that's where everybody's going to be. Uh, I probably won't be the first, but I'll be the fifth person in life. <laughs> <laughs> Just the fifth, not the first. At all times. <laughs> At all times. <laughs> or I'll be double fisting. Um, so, you know. Uh, and you, you mentioned that. Now, when we had Grace Project, um, you know, things were still a little different because we had Grace Project at the end November. of last year, November, when we were finally able to kind of do something mm-hmm. um, for that particular project, uh, for that particular thing we did. Um, require vaccinations um, just because they are, you know, they have, you know, really some some tough issues to face. So, you know, that was a requirement for the ladies to attend. Um, They did still wear masks pretty much the entire time. Um, So, you know, it is kind of, we talked about, are we going to have, you know, for the event, are we going to require vaccinations? Are we not? But that's still such a hot, touchy subject as well. Um, but like Brooke said, I think, you know, some people, some people, they have different comfort levels. I mean, we all know people that still wear a mask everywhere they go. And if that's what they, they want and that's how they're comfortable, but they're actually, you know, starting to engage, I'm all for it. Yeah. You know, so, you know, I just, I think that's the biggest thing is we just need to be, you know, cognizant of that and just make sure people are comfortable. But, you know, we still won't have a good time. Well, you know, it's going to be difficult because, you know, I know every time I wear my swim mask, it just fogs up like crazy. <laughs> and that's going to be a problem, you know. Yeah, have your little snorkel, <laughs> Patty. I'll have my snorkel. That'll be perfect. You're giving me some ideas for this costume. Yeah. <laughs> Why have I not thought of these things? Patty, we should have talked a long time ago. You better get cracking, girl. I know. Look, my, my outfit is not even going to be that exciting, so I'm not to revisit it. I'm waiting to see Patty walk through the door. <laughs> I'm not to revisit this outfit. Floppers. <laughs> Who came up with the Under the Sea uh, uh, idea? So that was Cody, Cody? came up with that. Um, we all came from a, a separate board a few years ago, um, and this had been an idea that had been floated around for several years. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think we kind of, once we were let out of the gates again, we actually announced this last... 2019. In 2019. Mm-hmm. At the end of 2019. Yeah. At our, our, our end of the year kickoff, you know, here's what's coming. Mm-hmm. 
And then we all know what happened. Right. You know, right. so the, the earth that stopped spinning. That tragedy. And so, um, you know, we've just been kind of keeping this under our hat for a little while. And, you know, finally it's here. So we, we try to do very fun themed Mm -hmm. parties for the big party mm -hmm. and we encourage people to dress to the theme um we've done Moulin Rouge we've done oh, uh, well, wait. no no, no, no I was like that. not Moulin Rouge do not say those words do not say those words we actually what was it? Rouge. We literally, legacy Rouge legacy Rouge legacy Rouge we, we got a cease and desist letter from the really? attorneys from Moulin Rouge oh wow to legacy use, Rouge not use the name not use the the, the windmill I mean, we got, and everybody wow. was so paranoid. I was like, oh, heck no. That means we're a big deal if Broadway attorneys are right, sending us right, a decease right. and desist letter. Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah. I kind of think it's kind of, I think it means we're pretty, we're it pretty It used up to there. always be be an angel, but I love that we bring um, our big event. It has a theme every year. Again, yeah. it's not required that you dress up, but it's just it's fun just to fun. see everybody. And Legacy Rouge was a huge success. Yes. We did um, um, Wizard of Oz theme before, so. Yeah. They, so they're, they're like copywriting the, the French word for red? Like, you can't... That, they, like, I mean, we got a long great. letter that said, you the better... The Mulan part is, is we were like, what oh. they got rid of. So they said, they said, and that's the exact windmill. Take that off. Wow. Okay. <laughs> it came for you. I was wow. like, oh. You well, would think they'd have a little sympathy. This is a nonprofit. No, they wow. didn't. Trust me. Wow. <laughs> but it was a great success. I mean, we oh, had a lot yeah. of fun, even though we changed it. We had a lot of fun. And like Shannon said, for us to get the attention that we got only weeks before our event went live, I, I mean, <laughs> we were like, oh, crap, what do we do now? But it was a success. We pulled it off. Legacy Rouge happened, and now we are so looking forward to Under the Sea. It, it got a little pause in there. We didn't think it would ever come back to surface, so thank goodness, too. <laughs> Literally. <laughs> <laughs> it's still under the sea, honey. Yeah, so here we are. Here we are. Super excited for next weekend. Get your tickets if you haven't gotten them yet. So we are talking about COVID and how it's affected us in the past couple of years. How did it affect you all, your organization, when it came to testing? Because you that's one of the things you can't do via telehealth. you got to be in person to test. Um, See? <laughs> the need for telehealth. That's just one, one of the things. Um, did it? Did you all still conduct testing just with, you know, just following the guidelines, mm -hmm. or did testing numbers um, just drop dramatically in the past two years? We actually don't do the testing. We work with a number oh, of okay. in entities like the Dallas County Health Department gotcha. that okay. conduct uh, testing, and then they refer to us. So Melissa Legacy is on speed dial. Um, Melissa's cell phone number, literally, crisis line, is handed out. Like, we have business cards and flyers that say if you need to talk to somebody after you get your testing, you can call the crisis line. Gotcha. And Melissa will answer that call. Mm -hmm. So we really depend and work really tightly with the health department, um, other entities that do provide testing. So I know for sure um, PRISM does testing, uh, other ASOs that do it. And then they know to refer their clients. And case managers, they're really, really good. If they get a new positive, a client that's newly diagnosed and positive, they will say, hey, call Legacy. And we'll do crisis sessions. So even if they don't want to sign up for counseling, they're like, I don't want to make the commitment to seeing a therapist on a regular basis, but I need somebody to talk to right now. Mm -hmm. We have that with our walk-in clinic. So 
we say walk-in clinic, telehealth happened. Um, we still provided it that way. So we had, and the good thing about it was. Zoom-in clinic. Zooming, yes, that's what I was saying. It was literally telehealth. Like we were doing that. So you, like you made the comment earlier, if you have something that comes up and you need to see your doctor for maybe ten to fifteen minutes, we were able to transition our walk-in clinic to a Zoom clinic, and therapists were working from home, so we could reach out to them. Melissa could do the initial, get them stable, make sure we could see them maybe Monday morning if they need it sooner. Um, and so this is where we are, and we still have that available, whether they want to do walk-in in person or if they need telehealth and they need to talk to somebody right at that moment, but they're not ready to commit to every week or every other week with an actual therapist. We meet the clients where they are. And, and we do a lot of outreach to, you know, the medical community. Um, there's, there's a very good relationship, as Brooke said, with case managers and, you know, the social workers at, at the different hospital systems. Um, we have Angel who's a specific outreach mm -hmm. director in the Hispanic community. So, you know, we're, we're always looking at expanding, you know, who, who we're helping. So, you know, I think that's where Grace Project came in. Melissa saw a need for, for ladies to be able to, to talk with their like people. Mm -hmm. And it started as a, like a pizza party mm -hmm. um, in, you know, somebody's backyard. And the thing that, that one thing about Grace Project that means so much to me is that the first pictures, it's only the back of all the ladies' head. None of them were comfortable enough to show their face. And now the fact they're doing videos that are on YouTube and, you know, everything else, that shows that they've really yeah. become empowered. So. That is, that, that's awesome. That's a big step. Yeah. yeah. So. Yeah. I like that spin. Yeah. <laughs> Good shit. I was like, ooh. <laughs> um, I want to talk a little bit about your leasing, your master leasing program, because that's really innovative, especially during a time where rents have gone through the roof in uh -huh. Dallas, uh -huh. everywhere, but housing is unaffordable for many people. Rent's yeah. too damn high. Yeah. The fair market <laughs> that's is... That's all it is to They it. say it's fair market, and I don't know if it's fair I don't know where... I don't know yeah. where... That, I don't know, I don't know if it's fair. It's well, fair what they're calling fair is it's comparable. It is, but... And it's based off of where you live and what the rate is, but again... It's just really expensive. I am very grateful for our master leasing program. Um, for anybody to get in our master leasing program, they have to go through our home base for housing, which is a resource uh, center first. And basically, it's two people. I like to highlight that there's only two people in our home base for housing center um, because they get so many referrals. Mm -hmm. And, you know, there's the idea that sometimes it's not or people get the idea that we have housing readily available, and we don't have that. And so ideally, our home base for housing, Jeff Erlin, who is our program director, and Andy, who is our housing specialist, they provide resources to individuals um, who are either needing rental, utility assistance, they're looking for a second chance apartments that may be accepting them. And then to be referred to our master leasing program, you have to be literally homeless. Uh, and in Texas, city of Dallas, their idea of literally homeless is living underneath a bridge, living in a tent, not sleeping on somebody's couch. A lot of our clients will come to us and be like, well, I'm literally homeless. Well, where did you sleep last night? On my friend's couch. That doesn't meet the equivalent mm -hmm. of what Dallas County or the city says is literally homeless. So we have to first walk through those ideas of what literally homeless is. Get documentation, oftentimes from shelters. Um, case managers taking pictures of where they were staying or where they've been sleeping so we can count mm -hmm. it as literally homeless to get them into our master leasing program. 
We have 36 units. We provide services to not only individuals but families as well mm -hmm. um, and their children. Um, just one person in the family has to be HIV positive, so we can do a household collectively. Uh, for the individuals, we do roommate situations, so they may two-bedroom apartment where they're living with somebody else. Mm -hmm. And these apartments have been redone nicely. They have, yes. It was originally done through donations uh, of furniture, and it was when Brian and I first moved in together, so we had extra, extra beds, extra, a whole bunch of stuff. Mm -hmm. yeah. And um, I think everybody donated to the, that cause because it yeah. was that was fun. Uh, and, I, and, well, and that's that's the thing because, like she said, these people are literally homeless, mm -hmm. so they have nothing at all. And you know, well, it, it is. It's just Brian was the kind of person who, if he was asked to do something, especially by Melissa, uh, <laughs> but if he was asked to do something to contribute to something, he would take it personally. Like, well, she asked me to do the whole thing. <laughs> so he was getting rid of, I can't tell you how much, I forgot how many apartments there were to start. I think it was like 10 to start. Yes, we started really, really small. Something, 10 to 15. something of Brian's was in literally every single one of those 10 apartments. That is awesome. So, That's cool, yeah. though. That's really, that really cool. Yeah. That yeah. is really awesome. So. Yeah, so if you're ever looking to donate, furniture is really hard for us when it comes to storing it. So we work with Dallas Furniture Bank now. So um, we get a lot of calls when people are moving and they're like, hey, can you take this? And although we would love to take all the donations that are often bought our way, we just don't have the capacity and the spacing to hold on to that stuff, but working with Dallas Furniture Bank has been very helpful to us because they... I've heard that name before. Where are they? How they, do you donate to them? They're located in like the Carrollton area, uh -huh. and oftentimes they'll come pick it up. So if you actually uh -huh. just call Dallas Furniture Bank, they have a schedule, so don't call them last minute if you're trying to move tomorrow. Um, but they'll come pick up your items, and then because we are a recipient and beneficiary underneath their um, service category, we actually can get furniture from them so that's an easier way one we don't have to worry about the storage two we always have to run around trying to find out who has a truck who can move something finding the volunteers so it's more man work or manpower work for us to actually move stuff sometimes especially when people are looking for something to be moved readily dallas furniture bank is a huge help for us because we furnish each and every one of these apartments when clients come in so what about what, sorry what about what about like dishes and, and yes, furnishings all of that stuff everything so, yeah and you can call us for like the dishes and stuff that don't require as much storage space mm -hmm. um but yes dishes Pots bedding yes, yes bedding sheets Again, gently use families, individuals, but yes, definitely give us a call, and that's stuff that we can take over to our master leasing programs. And so how many apartments do you all are working with right now? We have 36 right now. And are, are you already at full capacity? They are yes. full capacity. I just got an email from Ms. Beecher, who is our, her name is Beecher Whitaker. She is our program director for our master leasing program. She sent out an email last week saying that we are full capacity, and they are working on a wait list right now. Wow. And we have um, the families and, or the, you know, the individuals, they actually, the goal is to graduate them from mm -hmm. being fully dependent on us for everything to becoming independent again. Yeah. And so they they have they have programs where we help them learn how to interview and how to do resumes and you know how to interact again and get back into the world and so we have you know we call it a graduation for them. Yeah. And so once they get to a certain point and they are able to to take care of the rents themselves and the utilities and stuff then you know they have graduated but so many of them choose to stay in their unit because now that's their home. 
Yeah. And so the the, and it's the places we work move. with, it's very expensive. Yeah. And the, the the apartments we work with have been really good to say, okay, well, we'll, we'll give, give you another release. apartment. Yeah. You know, we'll just, we'll change to a different unit because mm -hmm. these people are they're here already in their home. So the first step for somebody who's jobless to getting a job is not being homeless. Right. Because if you're homeless, stability. Nobody's going to hire you're not you. And you're not compliant on your medications. No. Yeah. It's one thing after another, but having a place to live is just such an important part of breaking that cycle. Yeah, and Shannon brought up a great point in regards to the support services that we provide in master leasing. So we're teaching them how to become self-sufficient, independent. And so that starts because with the housing, with the city of Dallas, Hopwa, which is housing opportunity for people with AIDS, um, they require that our clients pay 30% of their income in rent. And that's the first step of being able to be stable and independent is we all have to pay our rent, right? So if they have income and we work to get them on income, whether it's through Social Security or they find a job, they pay 30%. A lot of times when they start seeing how much they're paying us, they're just like, I can go get my own apartment and pay rent by myself. Like, I'm, go I'm ready to go. I'm ready to graduate. Um, and that's great because these are all the things that we're teaching them. And another component of our master leasing program is they get case management. So they have somebody that they're checking in with once a week, seeing how things are going. Are you following up? Are we getting you registered for Dallas Housing Authority so you can have other housing opportunities and support so you're not just out there navigating it by yourself? Um, so case management is really intense still, but they're not living with them, but they're not their mom. So they're just adding that extra level of support and helping them navigate now that I am stable what does it look like for me to keep this and remain consistent and compliant in my life? So we're really happy and excited about all these opportunities that we have available for clients coming to us at Legacy. And Brooke and Shannon, I want to thank you both for being with us today. We are just about out of time. Legacy by the Sea is next Saturday at 7 for parties, $65. Under the sea. Under the sea. Under. Legacy under the sea. If you want to drown next weekend. If you want to weekend, be by the sea, you can be by the sea. Just come on down. Are you sure I'll, you didn't get a cease and desist you know, on that? <laughs> Let's not give That's any true. more ideas to anybody. Um, go to Legacy Cares, and I'm sure there's a link on Legacy Cares for getting tickets. Mm -hmm. You can buy tickets at the door because I know if you're taking up Melissa's mantle you'll never turn somebody away or turn away their money so exactly we will not i will not no, no. It's from, we love that from 8 to 11 7 for parties uh saturday march 12th thank you so much for being with us come back yeah, yeah please thank, come back please thank do you for come the back. opportunity this has been a lot of fun it thank has, you for having us yes we appreciate Absolutely. it and for all of us here at lambda weekly um next week our guest is shelly skeen when she was on just uh, about a month and a half ago, we realized we didn't get to half the things that she needed to talk to us about. So we're going to finish that conversation next week. Have a good week from all of us here at Lambda Weekly.